This holiday weekend, um, we may have had occasion to spend time with friends or family or watch something special on the television or notice in one way or another the activities at neighbors' houses, whether fireworks or um, whether that's a positive or negative experience. Or um, One woman in my neighborhood every year for the past 25 years has organized a little parade. Um, with police escort and this year with a fire truck, then what neighbors will gather in this one corner of the neighborhood with their decorated bicycles and wagons and wheelbarrows and uh, uh, cats. and I mean, not cats. Usually they just bring dogs, but they decorate their dogs. Um, and this year there were a couple of full-sized cars. I'm not sure what that was about. They were at the end of the parade. There, oh, I guess it's to pick people up if they need to stop. But there are lots of pedestrians, and families might dress alike or not. They might dress in red, white, and blue. A lot of them do, but not all of them. Um, there is no apparent order to this. There, there are no straight lines. They're not in mutual step. There's no music playing except an occasional burst from one of the sirens. Just enough to get the dogs in the neighborhood chiming in, the ones that aren't in the parade. Um, you know, the, so there's no particular decorum. And they make their little trek around what I would call, what we call the big block. It's actually, it encompasses several blocks. And, and it may be a mile from beginning to end, but probably not quite that. Um, and when they get to the end of it, they have popsicles and cake and donuts and all of these wonderfully healthy celebratory snacks. You know, uh, my family and I have participated a couple of times, and almost every year I'll find either a vantage point from which to watch the parade, or I'll step out the door and catch some piece of it and wave at folks who, who aren't necessarily all that happy. It's just, it's just a very odd little parade. <laughs> but... You know, uh, some of the neighbors along the way that aren't in the parade will pull out their lawn chairs and sit there and bear witness to this small effort to honor what was great effort by those who had gone before. You know, I, You know, on something I saw on the on the TV during Fourth of July, somebody—I think it—I don't know what it was. Somebody was talking about the way that, for many people who grew up in the United States, and and I I would think it must be true in other places as well. When there are parades. Uh, something wells up in us that, that might be patriotic pride. 
I, mean, I can't hear stars and stripes forever without getting choked up. If someone does America the Beautiful in something that feels like a genuine way to me, I'm in tears. I think I mentioned that uh, not this year, but last year for the General Assembly of the Unitarian Universalists, which was called Justice Assembly, we went to Phoenix and we had a march of more than 3,000 at Joe Arpaio's tent prisons, tent cities, prisons. But at Justice GA, one of the workshops I went to, they played, I think it was five or six versions of the Star Spangled Banner. One was the da, 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 you know, the one that we always hear with the marching bands and all that kind of stuff. One was hip hop. One was bluegrassy country. One was Hendrix. One was in Spanish. And beside the word, beside the words that they had there was the literal translation of the Spanish translation, which was so beautiful. And then we were asked to decide which one of those versions we thought best represented our country and to group up by what version we thought was best. This probably won't surprise you, but I was with a group that insisted we have a group that didn't choose one. <laughs> because every single one of them represented something very important about this country. And to choose one over another would have been to somehow discount all those other experiences. And in our little group, when we were talking about all of this, just talking about it, you know, I, I sound particularly weepy today, but I, I got really choked up. And for some reason, they decided to have me tell the group why we were in that group and why we thought it was the, the best, uh, why none of them was best. All of those things moved me to tears. Yet, this country that I love, this year in my backyard, because that's where the post is, when I hung up my American flag, I felt conflicted. Now, I grew up in the era of Vietnam. The country was hurt internally, emotionally, a lot by that conflict. It's not a response I wanted to have, and it was one that surprised me. But I had to be very intentional 
about putting out my flag. And it was a choice that I made after thinking back through a lot of things that felt unjust, a lot of things that felt wrong. But just like me, the country has the right to be wrong too. We tell the story of the blind men and the elephant. There's another story about, um, so let's suppose you, you and I walk up to a house. We're facing the north side of it. The house is painted from stem to stern brown. And so we call it a brown house. Somebody else comes up from the south and they, they let, text us, no, it's not a brown house, it's a white house. Well, the whole south side of the house is painted white. So is anybody wrong? Are they both right? Are they... Uh, or is it both? Is it neither? That was, that was an image that somebody named Megan Chance used in one of her books or writings. But for me, a, a, an image that feels more accurate, my, my son told me that the name of this stuff, but you can sit at a traffic light and a car might be coming on the cross street. And as you see it a ways off, it looks purple. And then it gets a little bit closer and it starts to turn teal. And then it gets a little bit closer and it turns red. And it gets a little bit closer and it's kind of a chartreuse. And then it gets a little bit farther and and it's called flip-flop paint. Have you heard of that? It changes colors from every angle that you see it. It's really quite impressive, but but uh, right and wrong to me can be an awful lot like that. Relativism, which is what we talk talk about, the lack of an absolute right or an absolute truth as whether it's moral or ethical or cultural is a really slippery and dangerous slope. But somewhere in that idea is the truth. A Buddhist scholar, David Kalapahana, said the Buddha described conventions, whether linguistic, social, political, moral, ethical, or even religious, as arising dependent on specific conditions. According to his paradigm, when conventions are considered absolute realities, 
they contribute to dogmatism, which in turn leads to conflict. Okay? This does not mean that conventions should be absolutely ignored as unreal and therefore useless. Instead, according to Buddhist thought, a wise person adopts a middle way. without holding conventions to be ultimate or ignoring them when they're fruitful. So while ultimately a great deal depends on context, we nevertheless have to identify our understanding, our coordinates. the ground from which we move. Or we don't move. And if we can understand that whatever that view is, it too is temporary. Whatever our truth is that stands in opposition to somebody else's truth, our understanding will change. And the, so, no matter how right we are for us, how much integrity we have in the moment, no matter how clearly we are speaking and seeing the truth as we understand it, we can still be wrong, and that's our right. It's also the right of other people. The things that we can't comprehend about the views of others have truth from where they're sitting, even if it's what's of ultimate importance to them. We don't have to agree with them. We don't ever have to align with that view. But, but until we can understand how someone can have those views, I know I've said this before, we don't have the broad picture. Because something has carried them to that place. When I was thinking about this talk, a couple of really great speeches from one from a movie and one from a uh, cable series came to mind for me. Um, both are great and worth catching if you get the chance and haven't yet. But one was Al Pacino in Scent of a Woman at the end of the, towards the end of the show, when he is talking about a young man, he says, I don't know if his decision is right or wrong. 
but it's a choice of, char- of character. It's a choice with integrity, and he wouldn't sell himself out. He also talks about how um, he has always known what the right path was and never took it because it was too hard. But here's this man standing up for someone in a circumstance that was not convenient, doing the right thing when he says he's never done the right thing. And and serving a meaningful purpose. The other speech was... uh, from a uh, HBO series called The Newsroom. There's a television news anchor who is Republican. Seems to be Republican, but also is very uh, reasoned in all of his positions on, on everything he does. And he's in a talk show circumstance where uh, someone from the audience goes to the microphone and asks all the panelists or all the guests to explain why they think America is the greatest nation in the world. And uh, I don't remember both the other answers. One of them is freedom and freedom. And so when they come to this this anchor who has been avoiding the questions that have been given him the whole time, uh, he says, well, I agree with them. It's so-and-so, it's what so-and-so said, and it's freedom and freedom. And the, and the uh, interviewer says, okay, I'm not letting you get away with this one. And he comes at him and, and says, I want an answer to this one. And he goes, okay, the... Uh, He goes through a bunch of other stuff. It doesn't matter. But eventually he gets pushed into a corner and he goes, okay, it's not the greatest nation in the world. And he goes through a list of all the ways that we are behind other countries, statistically. And he lists, uh, has a long list of other countries that have freedom. And then he says, but we sure used to be. And he talks about all the things that we did as a country that, like not dividing behind who we voted for in the last presidential election. Doing things to help each other out and making sacrifices when it was important and worthy and and the kinds of things that we've moved away from in a lot of ways. But both of those things talk about right as something that has a lot to do with your perspective. Alan Watts, who arguably is responsible for making Eastern religion 
broadly accessible to the Western world. Said, things are as they are. I told somebody in the foyer I was going to say something like that. Looking out into the universe at night, we make no comparisons between right and wrong stars, nor between well and badly arranged constellations. Now, given our own fallibility, in spite of our best efforts and intentions, and given our right to be wrong, mutually benefiting those who stand diametrically opposed to our views, that right to be wrong is theirs also. If we can endeavor to move a little closer to Alan Watts's much longer view with our neighbors, we can continue to develop our individual capacity to hold paradox, to honor the inherent worth and dignity of every person, and to work toward building the beloved community. We need not think alike to love alike. We need not think alike to love alike. Would you join me? Thank you. 